You're about to listen to a message from Every Nation Church Midrand, the place where people come to be changed and discipled to transform society. Um, on my way here, I was reflecting on where do I start? Uh, how do you talk about soul prosperity? How do you talk about uh, living a, a healthy and wealthy life and really give justice to that? Because there's just so much to talk about. And I reflected on a young lady that I used to see about 20 years back. Uh, well, you can calculate my age. <laughs> that is also grace, because grace makes you look young. Uh, this lady was in her early 30s, married, two kids, good job, financially not doing badly. And when she came to the practice, she actually told me that she didn't want to be there. But she had come to see me because she's been uh, taking uh, pain tablets for headaches. She couldn't sleep and she had migraines. But now the GP refused to give her any more medication unless she comes to see me. So let's uh, say this lady's name is Joy, because we'll keep going back to Joy. Now, when I said with Joy, uh, what I would normally do, first session, uh, history taking, you want to get to know the person, who they are, where they are coming from, and all of that. Like I said, you know, the stuff that I've given you about here already, you're thinking, what is Joy's problem? Because joy, you know, has most of the things that the average woman her age would be wanting, right? Um, I was also wondering. But anyway, <coughs> as I asked the questions, uh, we went to upbringing. I asked him, how is your relationship with mom, relationship with mom, good, uh, relationship with siblings, good, you know, relationships around here, relatively okay. And then I said, how is your relationship with your dad? And then she said to me, loyal. Loyal means that one. So from a psychological point of view, Immediately, I knew there's unresolved issues in her relationship with her father. But long story short, you know, we, we continued and um, she allowed me to facilitate her working through her issues with her dad. And why I thought about joy on my way here. What came to my mind was joy according to the world is prosperous or was prosperous, but joy's soul 
was bleeding. And what had happened is, even though Joy moved herself out of the father's house to go and get married, guess what? She took her soul with her. And she was bleeding in her own house, not in her father's house. I was still together. So that is the background uh, that, um, you know, I would be talking around. Um, Pastor Uba, you would have to signal for me, you know, because I'm going to divide my talk into, into two. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we can have time for questions as well because I would really love to engage and um, we talk about practical issues because it's not going to help for me to give you the information and um, you can't relate the information to your, your everyday life. So we have joy. Um, I think I must also just briefly talk about the relationship between a body and soul. Men, biblically, a spirit. Spirit with a soul. And when we're talking about the soul, the soul consists of the mind, the emotions, the will, you know, the will to, the, the drive to do something, the conscience. And, and you can see all of these things are invisible. We, we, we can't touch them, right? But these things are very powerful. And these things, these invisible things, they reside in the body, which is the flesh. And that is what we see. So, if we were to talk about prosperity and only limit it to things that are outside the flesh, as in the tangibles, we're not going to be doing justice to prosperity. And not to say that that is not prosperity, because those things that are outside ourselves, right? The, the, the money, the cars, the house, we, we want those things. And, you know, those things are necessary because we are flesh. But those things are just but a tiny bit of what prosperity is about. Prosperity is about psychological prosperity, emotional prosperity relational prosperity. There's nothing that is as challenging as relationships. Let's start with relationship between friends. Some of us are not that prosperous in that area. But we are prosperous. So how prosperous is that? Right? Now, Prosperity, it's, it's, you can see just from what I'm talking about, it's a spiritual state. It's, it's not just the, um, the, the psychological and emotional strength 
to rise above things. But it's also, it's the hope. It's the faith. It's, it's the love that surpasses everything. And what are we talking about? You can't talk about love that surpasses everything and God is not in that. So there has to be something that is just beyond everything. So your soul cannot prosper if it's not connected to that thing. Prosperity is about being able to, to work through the obstacles. It's about making the decision to do good even when bad things are happening to you or around you. Are we still together? Right. Now, I'm going to divide um, the talk into two. The first part is, how do I know if my soul is not prospering? Because I guess, you know, that is why all of us are here, right? That's the first part. Then the second part is, what can I do about it? And there's uh, two scriptures that I would also like to be the, the foundation of um, uh, our discussion. And the first one is, it was read this morning, which is, um, beloved, I pray that we all know the scripture, right? So I want the scripture to be at the back of our mind. And then the second scripture that I want to be at the back of our minds is one of my favorite scriptures. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Guard. It's, it's like it's, it, it's a command. It's your responsibility. It's your, it's your heart. It's not any other person's. It's your heart. You've got the responsibility to, to protect it with everything that you have. So, we have joy and we have those two scriptures. We're still together. Now, we lead very busy and uh, sometimes very stressful lives. Uh, stress is not all bad. The stress that is good, like when you're preparing that report at work, you need something to, to drive you, right? But you'll find that after you've submitted the report, it's sometimes easy to snap out of the stress. That is good stress. So we do need stress to actually propel us to do things. But there's also stress that is bad, right? And that is the kind of stress that you can't just snap out of. I don't know if I'm... All right. 
And what happens with stress is if it's not managed, it can graduate into depression. And I know that immediately I say depression. This is um, the big D that we don't want to talk about because depression is, is unseen, right? I'm looking great, I'm looking zhuzh, but nobody knows how I'm feeling inside. So even when I do express what I'm, I'm feeling, it, it's not commensurate to how I look. And that is why depression goes untreated for quite some time. And depression affects people in different ways, depending on the age, on the gender. I can see there's beautiful ladies here, gender, women, we'll get into that, right? And um, according to cultural background, also according to personality, right? So what does it mean? It means that psychologically, we can't just pin, pin down one causal factor of depression. There's multiple factors that can lead to one being depressed. And if you're going back to understanding soul prosperity, you would understand that depression is one of the things that impedes one's soul to prosper. Because how do you, where do you get the energy to rise above stuff? Right? When you don't have that energy, because when you're depressed, you don't have the energy. You might have the know-how, you might have the understanding, but that thing, which is the soul, that, that thing, it's not there. Are we still together? And when we talk about depression then, it's, it's, it's a whole body. Can you see what I'm doing? It's a whole body illness. Because it affects your moods. It affects your behavior. It affects your thoughts. It affects your action. It, it, it basically affects everything that you do. Right? So I'll briefly go through some of um, the factors that increase the risk of depression. Because when you understand those factors, then we'll come to the second part, which would be how best can one manage those factors? Are we still together? Right. The first one, we talk about uh, brain chemical imbalance. Right? So what does that mean? It basically means, you know, uh, there would be an imbalance in the body or in the chemical that is responsible for regulating one's mood. So if there's an imbalance in that chemical, it's not something that, I mean, you, you've done to yourself. It's, it's something that is there for whatever reason. So if there's that uh, imbalance, what it means is that um, there's then going to be uh, decreased uh, levels of that chemical, 
which then leads to decreased functionality, meaning that the brain would not be able to do what it ought to do, which is to regulate your moods. So your moods are going to be going haywire. So brain chemical imbalance, that is one. The second one, female sex hormones. What does that mean? As females, we, we, we are blessed. There are certain things that God has just given to us as females. Right? So, what happens is because we, we give birth, right? We go through your PMS, we get pregnant, we give birth, people miscarry, right? All of these things are happening where? Right? They're not happening out there. So, because of the female sex hormones, you can now understand why depression is twice as much in women than it is in men. Because all of these things that I've spoken about, men don't experience. And you can also understand why the incidences of depression are at their peak when women are in their reproductive stages or ages. Because that is the time that the women are going through, sorry, all these emotions. Are we still together? Now, whilst all of these things are happening, the PMS, the pregnancy, the blah, 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 women still have to deal with other social factors. You still have to work. Nobody cares at work whether you have PMS or not. There's a presentation you need to prepare. Are we together? Right? We want to climb the social ladder. We need to be prosperous socially. Right? We still have to take care of kids. There's a single parenting. All of these things are happening. Your emotions are also happening. And you have to be prosperous in your soul through all of this. Right? And, and for men, men deny depression. It's unmanly to be depressed, which is why you find that, you know, let's, if we go back to Joy, that the husband was not interested because the husband actually doesn't understand what is Joy's problem. So please sort Joy out. When you finish with her, I want her at home. So you can see that even when Joy is, grow, is going through therapy, there's no support at home. Right? So I've said uh, brain uh, chemical imbalance, uh, female sex uh, hormones. The third trigger is uh, physical health problems. So physical health problems, we talk about body, mind, and soul very loosely. But actually... What it means is that for us to be functional, there needs to be that relative integration between our body, our mind, and our soul. So if, it's, if something is happening in your body, that thing is going to impact a dysfunctional or a dysfunction in your body, 
impacts your mind and it impacts your soul. Example would be joy again, right? Chronic headaches, it's in the body, right? Joy was struggling to function. I have um, a middle-aged lady that um, I saw beginning of this year. She stopped working, I think, about five years ago. Um, operation gone wrong, spinal cord, and and and. Now um, she's at home with the husband. The husband is retired, and what is happening with her? She can't bath herself. She struggles to walk. You know, the list goes on. The chronic pain. She's feeling very despondent. She's feeling very suicidal. The kids are out of the house. They have their own lives. It's just her and the husband. So you can see that time that they were looking forward to, of growing old together, it has arrived. But what is happening is there is now this chronic pain. And if this woman is not prosperous in her soul, she's going to struggle to deal with the situation. Are we still together? And then the other fourth trigger, low self-esteem. And there's what I call a clear definition of self. Clear definition of self. Because most of us, or some other people that are not here, they don't know who they are. There's a saying that goes like, unless you know who you are, you can know who you can become. So because you don't know who you are, you're struggling to understand why you are not prospering, meaning why you're not moving to the next level. But what is the next level? You can't even conceptualize the next level to yourself because you don't believe that you are worthy of moving into the next level, whatever the next level is. Some of us are overly critical of ourselves, right? We want to be in control of everything in our lives. There's one young lady, you know, she came to me and um, she's depressed. And she says to me, uh, she's got a good job, you know, she's got a uh, townhouse, car, you know, all the prosperity that is, you know, outside us. And she doesn't understand why she's not getting a husband. Right? And she's very angry at God. And she stopped going to church. Because for her, how she had structured her life, her life is like a project. I do my degree in record time, broom, 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 done, put aside. I get a job, broom, 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 done, put aside. But then, why is this one not happening? But she's not asking herself, I wonder what are the things that are standing 
between me and me getting this husband? What are the things that I need to work through? Because God, because God is always there. God will always do his things. God will always keep his promises. But am I aware of the things that I need to do? The responsibility. Right? The other trigger, which is not um, famously spoken about, um, literally we call it addictions. But in psychological terms, we call it impulse control disorders. Now, when you're looking at this word, impulse control, right? Impulse control. So the impulse is the edge to do something, right? So when there's that edge to do this thing, you know, edge to do this thing, right? But you're like, oh my goodness, I'm not supposed to be doing this thing. But the edge to do, if I can just do it, just this once. Are we together? Right? I know that we're in church. Growing up, there will be peanut butter, right? And then you're thinking, if I can just scoop. <laughs> right? And you level it. You know the edge that I'm talking about. And you do it once, and then you're thinking, if I just this, if I get just this last scoop, and that's the time that you're going to get caught. Are we still together? Right? Now, addictions, like I said, it's impulse control disorders, but it's addictions. And it's drugs, it's alcohol. It's gambling, retail therapy for women, because that is still gambling, right? It's a financial mismanagement, right? It's um, eating disorders because overeating, right? That's part of it. And, um, you know, we, we always uh, revise, uh, we call it the, the DSM classification, we always revise the classification of disorders. And in the last revision, social media has, is actually part of the impulse control disorders. Are we still together? Right? Now, when you're looking at the impulse control disorders, the function of doing you know, the addiction is an attempt to close the emotional void. There's this, there's this hole, you know, when things around you are, are, are going well. But there's this hole that you can't put into words. So we use addictions as an attempt to close this hole. But how do you close a, a hole that you don't even know what is the source of? You understand? You need to first understand where is the hole coming from so that you can be able to close the hole 
with what is going to close the hole. So we use what is available to us to close the hole. And, and the sad thing is that with the addictions, if somebody has an, an addictive behavior, even when you stop one of the addictions, you're likely to move into another one. One. But then two, the other interesting thing is we use the addiction that is within our reach. So if I'm not a drinker, it doesn't make me any better, right? When I'm using retail therapy or when I'm being promiscuous. Are we together? But we look at the druggies as they are those people. And actually, I am spending my time on social media. The pots are burning at home. Husband comes. There's no food. Uh, the list goes on. You are in bed, both of you. You know, the other one is texting, you know. You don't even have, even if you don't have a husband, you don't even have time to yourself. Because there's an energy that goes into Because your brain is engaged. That is why when you get to bed, right, it's going to take you time to switch off. Right? Another trigger is um, previous history of uh, mental illnesses. It can be somebody has a history of uh, anxiety or post-traumatic uh, uh, stress disorder or any other mental illness. So what would happen is your, your, your levels of depression are going to be exacerbated because you have that uh, predisposition. Then the last two, it's stressful events, life events. There's many of those. It can be unemployment. It can be losing a job. It can be uh, financial issues, it can be your child is in the Eastern Cape and you want to bring your child this side and you're thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? Uh, Midland life is so expensive, I can't afford, uh, you know, all of those things. Those are real life issues. <coughs> and the last one is grief and loss. Grief, we know, it's the death of a loved one. And that's a change process, right? But when we're talking about loss, loss is not only death. Change of social standing, that is loss. The economic situation is bad. You have to take back your, I don't know the name of the cars, whatever the nice latest car is, you have to downgrade. That is a loss. Right? Certain friends move away from you. That is a loss. The end of a relationship, that is a loss. And you can see in these examples of loss that I'm giving, 
there's also a component of what? Rejection. So you seldom get lost without rejection. Are we still together? So if you're looking at all these factors, these are issues that we deal with on a daily basis. We deal with or not deal with. Are we together? Because these issues, all of them, all of us sitting here, we will have our peak in the list that I've mentioned. And if you're not working on cultivating, you know, the, your, your spirit to be able to deal with whatever you're going through, then emotionally, you're going to be pulled down. You're going to be depressed. And, and quickly, just to close this last part, you're going to be pulled down, you're going to be depressed. Symptoms of depression. Just quickly, quickly. Because I want a situation where you don't have to wait for your doctor to diagnose you. You must know. Symptom number one, changes in sleeping pattern. It's either you sleep a lot, you don't sleep at all. You sleep, you wake up, you struggle to go back to sleep. You know why that is happening? Because your brain is trying to help you. Because the brain has got good intentions. When you are attempt, because remember, during the day, there's a lot of things that are pulling you in different directions. So when you get into bed, the brain knows it has packed some of these things that you have not dealt with. So your brain is going to say, ah, shame, maybe now we can give an opportunity to, you know, to unpack these issues. But do you know why you're not sleeping? It's because there's a flood of these issues. All of them, they just flood in. Because as you are not sleeping, if somebody asked you in the morning, what were you thinking about? You don't know, you know? That is the, the subconscious brain. We'll talk about that some other time, but uh, changes in sleeping pattern. Then symptom number two, changes in eating pattern. Same thing. It's either you eat a lot or you have no appetite or you binge. Symptom number three, energy levels go down. Motivation levels go down. Concentration levels go down. You're not interested in any activity. You can wake up if you're lucky. You don't want to open curtains. Phones are, are ringing. You know, nobody has done anything to you, but you just feel you want to be left alone. Right? And then for some people, instead of the social withdrawal, you find that uh, even when they interact with people, they're very snappy. It touches a move. You've got this, you know, energy that is like explosive and uh, some other times uh, people will also have suicidal thoughts and suicidal you can hear I didn't say so we call it suicidal ideations meaning a person would say I just wish I could um, sleep and not wake up they don't really want to kill themselves 
but they are so overwhelmed with all of these things that they don't know where to start to deal with. So if they can just slip. And, and most of the people that I would see, they would, when, when they've taken an overdose and they're in hospital, they would say, no, it was accidental. And I understand, honestly, truly, it was accidental because you take pill number one, you're thinking this is not working fast enough. I just want to sleep so that I don't have to. Then you take pill number two and number three because you want to. And at that moment, because you've been taking so many pills, the body is saying, please, I don't need pills. Just unpack all these things that you don't want to unpack because they're not going away. Are we still together? Right? So, from those triggers, I've answered the question of how do I know why my soul is not prospering? Because all of these things that I've spoken about, they're talking to what? They're talking to the soul. They're talking to the core of who you are. They're talking to the core of who you can be that you see you're not really vacillating towards. Are we still together? Now, when we're talking about the, the soul, the, the soul is, is the engine to to our destiny. So if you are not taking care of your soul, that, that, you know, that, that move, that facilitation into getting what is rightfully yours becomes a bit of a challenge. And what also happens is when we're going through some or all of these things that I've mentioned, it almost feels like life doesn't have taste. You know, when you're just getting by, but it feels like you, you, you're not having a grasp of your life. Your life does not have meaning. I'm now getting into the second part of what can I do? And I've got a, an acronym that I usually use. And that acronym is Taste Life Principles. It's the principles that I want to leave you guys with, right? To, to help you to reconnect with yourself. To help you reconnect with your soul. So that you can be able to reach your destiny, right? So I said, taste life. The first T, we're in a spelling class, right? So the first T, tackle the problem. Problems don't melt, they don't disappear, 
they just get bigger and bigger. Are we still together? Tackle the problem. Unpack that baggage. Because 99.9% .9 of the time, you know what your issues are. And because you are human, back to the flesh, it's just too difficult to face the problems. Because you need what? You need the soul to be able to tackle the problem. Are we together? Right? And then we have the A. Aim. You can't just be shooting in the air. You must have goals. You must have an understanding of what is it exactly that is standing between you and what can be. What is standing between you and where you want to be. What are your goals? What is it that you need to do? How do you need to tackle this problem? We're still together. So again, with the A, it's one of my favorites. Assertiveness. Most of the time, in an attempt to assert ourselves, we become aggressive. In an attempt to assert ourselves, we become aggressive because we don't understand what assertiveness is. And you will see, as I'm going through these taste life principles, I can actually run a workshop on each one of them. One. But then two, as I go through these taste life principles, they are intertwined. When you do one, it's inevitable not to tap into another one. Right? So back to assertiveness, how I simply define assertiveness. Say how you're feeling when you're feeling it. We spend so much time in our heads trying to think of the right way to say what we want to say until we end up not saying it. Because we are more worried about how the other person is going to receive it. And why are we worried? Because we don't want to be rejected. Can you see the loss? Because we're thinking, oh my goodness, if I tell Zodwa that I didn't like the way she spoke to me yesterday, what if she doesn't want to be my friend anymore? And, oh my goodness, I can't afford that because Zodwa is the only person that, you know, has been supportive to me. And what are you doing in that transaction? You actually teaching Zodwa how to treat you. Because remember, Zodwa has no clue 
that when she says whatever she says, however she says it, this is how you're feeling. So we teach people how to treat us. But at the end of the day, we become victims. Still together? The S. Self, self, self. Have a clear definition of yourself. Who are you? Work on your self-awareness, meaning what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are the things that you need to work through? Have a sense of self-worth. Some of the people, because they, 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 they don't know their worth, they don't believe that they are deserving of good things. So even when a good thing is standing in front of you, you know that low self-esteem I was talking about, right? And it can also be when you were growing up, you were told you're not going to be anything, you know, whatever, right? So even when something good is there, your script, which is negative, your script, which is the things that have happened in your past, you have not, not worked through that. And that is why if you have somebody that you trust enough, it can be church, it can be therapy, but have somebody that you can be yourself with. Because most of the time, we are different people with different people. I've got a friend that I talk to about relationships. I've got a friend that I talk to about my finances because there are certain people that can't know my financial situation. There are certain people that I talk about about my home background because I don't want people to judge me about it to understand. So basically, you're not yourself with all these people. We're still together. And another S is support. The, the question that I usually throw when I talk about support is <clears throat> you need to have a scan, a mental scan of who are the people that you need, you, you need around you and why do you need those people? And you can see with just the way I've languaged it. You have a sense of control. You are allowing people that you want. You're not going to allow people that you don't want. Because you understand the function of those people in your life. Are we still together? 
And most of the time, with the support, what we struggle with is that we have a lot of people around us. But it's not the people that we need. But because we're not clear about who we are, we want to fit in into those people. Are we still together? So T-A-S, where are we now? T. I want to throw this into the floor. The T is about treasure. What do you treasure? I'm not going to answer that for you. Or who do you treasure? What is that thing that is holding your center? Because our centers, that is where the soul is, need to be held. There are times when things around you are not making sense. You need to go back to that. You need to go back to that thing that can hold you. What is that thing? I don't know. I know mine. What is holding your center? What do you treasure? And then we get to the E. That's for emotions. Emotions are not wrong. As women, that is one of the strengths that we have. But we don't know how to use it. Because sometimes our emotions are not regulated. So you also need to be clear what is driving or motivating your emotions. Example would be there are people who use their emotions to get anything and everything. That's manipulation. Right? We know that Nomsa, oh my goodness, when she loses it, everybody's like, just give it, just give it for the sake of peace. Right? There's that part. But again, emotions again. <clears throat> it's about understanding that you've got the responsibility to preserve your emotions. What does that mean? I'm, I'm, I'm naturally a very calm person. Thank God for that. <clears throat> and one, but then two is because very early on in my life, I was lucky to understand that if I allow myself, you know, my emotions to be everywhere, if I get angry, I would have a headache, my day is messed up, I don't know what was happening, right? 
and I made a decision <coughs> sorry, that I've got the responsibility, not that things are not going to happen, but I've got a responsibility to engage and deal with things in a way that is going to preserve my own emotions. Somebody can come and have an explosion with you. They are angry. They are coming from wherever they are coming from. And they are angry because of whatever they, that made them angry. And what do we do? We engage with their anger. Meaning we now tapping into our soul, our emotion, right? To, to interact with negativity. And what happens in that transaction, because psychologically we are interactional beings. We always want to interact. So I, I, I use the example of, it's almost like you are allowing somebody to puke on you, right? And leave you with a puke. <clears throat> because if I'm angry at you and you're also responding, by the time I leave, for me, I'm like, oh, thank God, you know, this anger that was here, I'm cool, right? You still want to engage with me. I'm not interested. I've given you the hand or the door. Are we together? Right? So that's the E. So taste. And then we go to life, the L. The L is for limit setting. Like I said, I, I can actually run a session on, on all of this. And one of the sessions that I enjoy is uh, because limit setting is about boundaries. And we struggle with that. And our struggle with boundaries come from our upbringing. The upbringing being our families and the upbringing being the church. Because most of us grew up in church. <coughs> and what do I mean by that? There is a statement that we all grew up with. Help other people. Are we still together? The statement is not complete. All of us, we grew up with this first part of the statement. The second part of the statement, which most of us discover, if we're lucky, later on in life, but not at your expense. Are we together? Right? <clears throat> and why the helping others but not at your expense is extremely important <coughs> is because if you do something for another person but it's not coming from a balanced space, emotionally, that is the soul. It's not sustainable. Right? You have 
your friend, Nomsa. To you, Nomsa is your best friend. Whenever Nomsa has a problem, you're there. You drop everything. Drop everything for Nomsa's keys, for Nomsa's this. Nomsa's electricity is just about finishing. The last 200 rand you have, you know, the list goes on. And you do it, it's coming from a good space. We're still together. Then this one day, in the morning, your car is not starting. Of course, the first person you're going to think about is who? Nomsa, my friend, Chomza, I don't know. I'm trying to start the car. You're panicking on my weight. And, and then Nomsa says, oh, my goodness, sorry. Oh, Chomza, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm getting into a meeting. I hope you get right. You come right. The psychological question has Nomsa done something wrong? Of course not. Of course not. That is who she is. You know, in her books, in her life, you are not a best friend. Right? The fact that you made Nomsa a best friend is your own choice. Right? And the fact that, and the fact that, you know, you, you, you've not been able to define your boundaries as far as Nomsa is concerned, is your problem. You know, so that is what limit setting is about. It's about defining, you know, um, um, uh, like I'm saying, I, I would really love to do a session on boundaries because it doesn't mean you must have boundaries that are, are closed, that are rigid. It's about having boundaries that are healthy. We all come from families. We all go through black texts. Right? Now, uh, I know if I get a call from my aunt, I can only say this in Kosa. Which means it's a milli mil. You know? My aunt has no idea of the life that I live in Jobek. How expensive is it? Petrol is going up by 11 cents, and you know, all of that. My aunt just sees me when I come home with a big car and, you know, right? Now, if each time my aunt phones me, umkubo awuko, right? I then go and borrow. Right? Because remember, I need to maintain the image 
because my aunt can call her daughter in Joburg and you know nothing happens because even in the village they have to know that you know if she phones me there's going to be action are we still together right so in that way but my boundaries are, are, are too open because I'm helping my aunt, but I'm going to be doing like this, right? My friend, I've got the last 200 rands. And her electricity is going to be switched off. She just needs 100 rands. This is now a Wednesday because she's getting paid on Friday, right? And this friend, I have borrowed... 50 rand and 20 rand and however rands and those rands never came back. But now this time, you know, because she's here and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, uh, she's got her keys and I know her keys. Oh my God, what? Oh my word. And then I give her the 100 rands. Come Friday, I'm left with the 100 rands. And I don't know how I'm going to make it through the rest of the weekend. My friend is not answering her phone. Are we still together? Right? So <coughs> we find that most of the time our boundaries are too open where people come in and take whatever they want and leave. Or sometimes, you know, when you've experienced some stuff, our boundaries are too rigid, are too closed. That's why I like to talk about healthy boundaries. And only you can determine what is a healthy boundary for yourself. So that was limit setting. That was the L. And then we have the I. The I is introspection. We all need time just to step back from whatever noise is happening around us. Because as you step back, as you introspect, the most important thing is, which is you know, one of my favorite questions, how have I contributed? to the situation I find myself in. The situation is happening. How have I contributed? And why it's important for me to introspect is so that me, when I go back into the situation, I have the ownership and the control to do things differently. But because we're human, we're victims. This person has done this to me. The other one has done the other thing. This one, this one, that one, and that one. Granted. But what is your contribution? Because you don't have control over what the other person does or doesn't do. But when you get to understand what your contribution has been, then you are able to, to work on that which then links with that, you know, unpack, unpacking the baggage. Um, <clears throat> I'm just thinking of um, 
uh, a couple that I, I used to, to, to see. And I first saw the, the, the husband. I was still a very young psychologist then. Um, you know, when, when, when we training, um, there's what we is called a one-way mirror. One-way mirror basically means you are in a room. Um, the person outside can actually see what is happening inside the room. So as part of the training, you will see um, a client, but your supervisor will be on the other side. So your supervisor can actually see everything that is um, happening inside. But of course, all of this is done with the consent of the patient. You understand? Because in essence, um, there's more heads, which is you as the therapist at that time, but then the supervisor who is outside the situation. So uh, this uh, middle-aged guy comes in. <coughs> he has a drinking problem. And apparently he had not been to work for about 13 days. So they wanted to dismiss him. But before they do that, they've got the responsibility to send him for, for therapy. So I, I come into, into the room. J just his disposition. I get very uncomfortable. His disposition was uh, of somebody who's not sure of himself. You know when a person is, 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 is feeling sorry for himself, you can see, you don't have to be a psychologist, that he has a low self-esteem. So there I was, like I'm saying, I was still a, a young psychologist. I want to save the world, right? And then I fire the guy with questions. Broom, broom. Broom, broom. The guy is only answering in one word answers. Now I'm thinking, and he's irritating me because I'm thinking, come, 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 let's deal with this dog, you know? But I'm not really saying, but I'm like, I want to engage with him. Now I'm frustrated. I'm thinking, what is it that I'm not doing? Because I've got the theory. And then I said, okay, can I? Excuse myself for two minutes. I want to go to the supervisor. <laughs> then when I get to the supervisor, my supervisor, he's still my therapist even, even today. You know, I see him once a while. What I like about him, he still doesn't tell me what I want to hear. So when I got into the room, and then he says to me, Goli, this one is God sent to you. And I'm thinking, God sent? When this guy is not talking, what's the problem? He's just complaining about the wife that is drinking. You know, I want to know more. What's, let's deal with it. And you know, my supervisor, one of his favorite um, phrases would be, he, he will never tell you what to do. He always said, said, if I were you, right? And then he said to me, you know what? Poor guy, he left his strong wife at home and he meets the wife 
in the session. You're just firing. He's not, you know, he's not getting a break. Thinking, but that is me. That is me, but surely it was not working in that context. I was still together. And then he says to me, if I were you, I will go back and stay with my discomfort. Did you hear me? Don't say anything. Because as you <coughs> stay with your discomfort, you're going to enable the strength in this guy to come out. Are we together? So that, that, that was, the, like I'm saying, after so many years, that, that stayed with me. I'm not there yet, but I'm very mindful of the need whenever I am interacting with another person to stay with my discomfort. And you can see in the statement, staying with discomfort, that, that there's a contradiction. But what it means, you can actually see and acknowledge that you are not comfortable with what is happening. But you're making a choice, right? To do something that is going to transform you. Because the transformation there was not about that guy. That was part of it. The transformation was for me as a therapist. And again, that is, and, and I'm bringing this in because in an attempt to support the people that are around us, we're too quick to offer answers because whatever they are telling you is actually similar to what so you can almost finish their sentence before they can actually finish their story because you've experienced this or your cousin has gone through whatever. And maybe, and just maybe, the end of this person's story is a bit different from your cousin's. We're too quick to judge. So stepping back, it's, it's, it's a skill. We, we, we need grace. To, to be able to, to do that. And that's part of, you know, a prosperous soul. Because it's about understanding that this is part of the things that I need to work through in myself. Like I'm saying, after all these years, I'm still not there. But I am mindful. Just when I'm about jumping into, I'm like, oh, stay with your discomfort. Introspection. <clears throat> and then F, 
This is a big one. Forgiveness. We go back to joy. What was standing in the way of where joy was in her life and where her life could have been was her ability to forgive her father. Are we together? There's a saying that goes like, we don't forgive people because they deserve it. We forgive them because we deserve peace. Right? Because, like I said, Joy had left her father's house. But Joy was still carrying her father in a very negative way in her heart. And then the other F, have fun. Have fun. It's biblical to have fun. You know, this morning, we had fun in the presence of the Lord. There's praise and worship. You're you really having fun. Have fun. Being a Christian does not mean that you must walk like a zombie. Have fun. And then the last uh, letter is E. <coughs> the E is end. There are certain things in our lives that do not serve us anymore. But we're still holding on to them. There are, still, there are certain relationships that don't serve us anymore. We're still holding on to them. There are certain friendships, you know, the list goes on. And we hold on because there's fear in change. Even though the current situation is not comfortable. But because you don't know where you're moving into when you let go of this. You're so scared of letting go. What are those things that you need to put to an end. And like I said, just going through the, you know, all the principles. Because if you understand what those things are, it's linking with tackling them. Because you can't tackle something that you do not know. We're still together. So, I usually say it would be very overwhelming for anybody to attempt to introduce all these principles at once. 
pick one that is talking to you today. Remember, this is your life. You are not in a rush. You are not comparing yourself with anybody. You're not competing with anybody. Keep, pick one principle that is talking to you as of now. That is talking to your circumstances. And work through that principle. And when that principle you know, is ingrained in your behavior, then you introduce another one. And as you do that, you will be cultivating soul prosperity because you'll be honoring you. In closing, I've got one of my favorite quotes um, from Maya Angelou. It goes like, if you have to look backwards, meaning in your past, do so forgivingly. If you have to look forward, <coughs> sorry, do so prayerfully. However, the best thing is to be present in the present, gratefully. I love that quote because for me, when I'm going through whatever, I always try and bring myself back into where I'm standing. And that is when you see the power of God. That is when you're able to say, in the midst of all this, I am still so grateful. I might not have all the things that I want, but I am still so grateful. And the verse that I would like to close with before we take questions, it's uh, in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and soul. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry, I was trying to go back to my notes um, because it happened um, uh, as I was writing some of the things you were saying. You mentioned something about being true to yourself, right? And then you mentioned that um, if, example, you have a friend that you talk to about finances 
and then you have another friend that you talk to about maybe say your marriage, you're not really being true if you're not sharing holistically about your life. So I think the question is, um, is it not a matter of trust? Um, if say for instance, you've got a friend that um, has a strength in a particular area in your life, is it still not being true to yourself if you can't share about your finances with that friend? I just want you to elaborate on that because I think I got a bit um, lost when you were talking about being true to yourself. Okay, thank you very much. I'm not going to be prescriptive because there's no, you know, one size fits all. But what usually happens is that if you call somebody a friend, you should be able to, to open up and not be on your guard. Because what then limits us to talk about certain things is because there's a certain image that I have created with this particular friend, which is why it will be uncomfortable for me to talk about the other aspects. Right? And I agree with you 100% when you say you would have this friend who is actually an expert in a particular area. But guess what? Which is why we're talking about the soul. It's almost impossible to deal with one aspect of an individual to the exclusion of the other aspects making sense. So if you say to me, I have financial problems, and, and I like the question that you're saying because wh when I see people for therapy, somebody would come and say, no, I'm only here for uh, work-related issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are, are you with me? That's a classical example. And immediately, from a psychological point of view, I know there is so much more that I need to deal with, but the person is saying that the boundary is defined. I'm not ready to, to talk about those things. Because if it's a financial problem, there has to be a context. And the context might not necessarily be Financially related. Making sense. So, example is uh, there's a, a, a young lady uh, married, uh, doing very well uh, career-wise, but they, they are not in the same social standing with the husband. <clears throat> and when she married him, she knew that. But now, it's starting to be a problem in the home. She's feeling very resentful because she feels that she's doing everything. And the husband is not contributing as much as 
they should. But when you're looking at the situation, no, she can come to me and say, we have financial problems. But if I don't have the context of how did they get to have financial problems? So the financial problem is not, we, we call it uh, the presenting problem, meaning it's that thing that when you tell people what the problem is, you talk about, but it's not the real problem. So the finances I had here is the presenting problem. Pack. Then I go into their relationship. And guess what was happening? In their relationship, when the relationship started, she's got a strong, strong personality, which is not a bad thing. But she's been driving the relationship. And the intentions were good because she was building. But in the process of driving, she could not see that there's a precedence that she was setting, which is the husband is the follower, is the passenger. Now she's exhausted of, of driving. <clears throat> she's tired of driving. And she's saying, it's your turn. And your husband is thinking, what are you talking about? I don't know how to do this thing because I've never done it. Are you with me? Your money, financial problems, right? Is paying everything in the house. What does he do with his own? Giving it to his aunt, his cousins, his, you know, the least buying himself, uh, flosham shoes. The list goes on. Is the problem finances? No. But had there been a conversation only about the finances, the intervention was not going to be an appropriate intervention. And that is why, again, when you go to a friend, you've got a relationship problem. You're only giving your friend this much. We're still together. And they are going to advise you based on that much. Are we together? You need somebody that you can say, I am not coping. You put all your cards on the table. They know what they are dealing with. And you are able to say, this is what I have done. Because, you know, when I'm in therapy, I would say, uh, somebody came and, uh, you know, it was a, a, a couple session, but I, I, I saw the wife uh, first. And then she said, because I said to her, oh, okay, how have you been managing the situation? Husband is not sleeping at home. I said, okay, what have you, how have you been managing the situation? Then she says, yo, uh-uh. Dr. Koli, nah, I'm going to tell the truth. Then I said, that is why we are here. <laughs> right? Because at that moment, my role is not to judge her. But I have to understand the context. 
and she told me the truth of what she was doing, which was great because now I'm able to piece together all these truths so that I can be able to guide her appropriately. So most of the time, we tell half-truths. Making sense? All right. Another question? We're here. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Mary Jane. Um, my question is that how do we, for those of, so how do we help people that are struggling with mental illness as their support structure? I know you alluded a bit to it about saying in your case where you had to stay in the discomfort and figure out what's going on with you, right? But the reason I'm asking is because having been a person on both sides, currently struggling with mental illness and having been a person that was on the other side, having friends that are struggling with mental illness, the responses are always, you need to pray, you need to have faith and whatnot. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But I think when you are in, like for me right now, when somebody says that to me, I'm just like, you are not the person that I'm ever going to talk to, right? Because then how you make it sound is that one, I don't have faith, right? to that prayer is the only thing that's going to fix this, right? Um, so how do, we, how do we become that support structure to people without making them feel like they are less of Christians, without making them feel like we're rejecting them, without stigmatizing them, and without just making them feel like they're a burden, but being a safe space for them to be able to come and say, hey, I'm struggling with depression, struggling with panic disorders, um, this is what has happened, and this is what I currently need. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, again, there's no one size fits all. And with managing mental illness, there's a few interventions that are able to, to work together which is why it's important for uh, the person to find whatever works for them. Having an experience with mental illness, you can be there for your friend as in, because first and foremost, there would be issues that they need to unpack. <coughs> So being there basically means you allow them the space to talk about whatever they're struggling with, one. But then two, to acknowledge that you're not the expert. To be able to, to say, you know what, I will be here for you anytime if you want to talk about this. But have you thought about one two, and three. So it would help you to maybe go and see a psychologist. It would also help you to have some spiritual support because spirituality is great, but is but one component. Are we together? Right? We cannot use... I always say, I, I thank God for for my journey as a person, meaning 
I'm a clinical psychologist. But guess what? With pride, I'm able to say I'm a Christian. It's not unchristian for me to practice psychology. And what I usually say to people, all the principles of the Bible, absolutely all of them, they are in psychology. All of them. So it's about finding a way to integrate the two. Because like you're saying, we stigmatize, unfortunately. It's still a journey you know, for, for the country, for us as individuals, for the church. Mental illness is still stigmatized. So just for us to be talking about depression in church, there on its own, it's, it's a step towards the right direction. So you should really applaud your leadership for that. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Shamiso. Uh, I'd like to ask a question. You mentioned uh, introspection. How do I overcome self-criticism during the process of introspecting how I contributed into the situation without falling into self-criticism? I like that one. Hello, my name is Mojabeng. I would like to know, for someone who has been diagnosed with depression, are there alternative um, treatments to medication? Okay. All right. I'll, I'll come back to you. Let me go back to uh, the, the self-criticism. It, it's normal when, when we're introspecting to, to criticize ourselves. One of the statements that I usually remind myself is, I'm allowed to make mistakes, but it can't be the same mistakes. So I do allow myself. So in the midst of the introspection, you have to say, Oof, yeah, shouldn't have done that allowed to do that but if the is for the third time something is not right making sense so make the mistake learn from the mistake and do things differently don't make the mistake and then you make the mistake again and again and again. Room there for forgiving yourself as well when you've made a mistake. Precisely. 
that there's no way. Thank you for bringing that up, Pastor. Precisely. Because if you have not forgiven yourself, that is why you find that in your introspection, because you have not forgiven yourself, you're likely to be overcritical. But if then you've forgiven yourself, you're able to say that was a boo-boo. But slowly, not again. Sorry. So self-forgiveness. And why is self-forgiveness critical is because if you can't forgive yourself, it becomes almost impossible to forgive other people. And that is where, you know, some of us are stuck. Right? And then the other question, there are other alternative, we call it alternative therapies, besides medication. Um, it would be your, um, um, there's what is called ECT, but that, that's, that's more vigorous. But there's also things like um, physiotherapy. I'm looking for, you know, more Western, we call it a Western uh, therapies, like your acupuncture, because what happens when a person is depressed is also about the imbalance in, in your energies. There's a reflexology, right? Things that can, you know, relax you. So you don't have to be using medication all the time, right? Church, support from church. It's not even an alternative therapy. It's the core. Because that is spirituality. It talks to, to you. But the reason why people have to be given medication is because they would have been depressed for years without treating it. So by the time they get to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, the intervention must be intensive. And again, having started medication does not necessarily mean you have to be on medication the rest of your life. You might be needing medication at that moment because you are overwhelmed at that moment. Because the medication is, remember, the, the, the symptoms of depression I was talking about. So what the medication does, it balances you know, your system. So immediately your system is balanced physiologically. You are able to slowly, that's the key word, slowly wean yourself off the medication. Now, what happens is, because people don't like medication, immediately they feel better physiologically. They stop the medication. Now, what happens when you just stop the medication abruptly? You're moving your system from a situation where your system was high up there 
dependent on the medication to a situation where there's nothing. The system then jumps, which is why the person must now do what? Go back to taking medication again. And the cycle repeats itself. want to ask, is there an alternative to psychotherapy um, if someone cannot afford, for example, to come see you? And what can we do, especially in the African setting where there's no money to go see a psychologist? What do you do? Hi. Hello. My name is Meryl. Um, you said something about aiming that we should ha we need to have goals and uh, it was an introspective question you um, you just put out to us um, for example what is standing between you and where you want to be um, so I just want to find out um, actually I'm still trying to gather my thoughts around this but I just want to find out how do how does a person move from a place where they feel they're supposed to do something or they're supposed to be somewhere, but then they're still stuck in this, in this place. There's a hurdle. They still need to jump over. How does, what causes that and how, how can a person practically move from that situation to uh, the realization of this thing where they, when, when you feel like there's more to life, or you should be somewhere, but then you feel stuck. How how do how does a person come out of that? I'll start with the um, yes. It goes back to the question of the people that you surround yourself with, because as we move along life. That, that is where proactivity is, 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 is extremely important. As you move along life, there's certain people that you need for the time of, of your life that you find yourself in. So church is one component. Friends, I will give an example with me. At my age, most of the friends that I have are much older than me. And that is the wisdom that I got, you know, as I move along the years. Because somebody who's your age, not that they won't know, they would advise you the best they know how. But somebody who has gone, you know, walked the road is more likely to give you more wisdom. So you need to choose people in your space. It can be work as well, right? That a manager in another unit that just likes you, you forge a relationship with them. And it doesn't have to be when you have problems. 
Because I think that that is where we get stuck. That is when we have problems that we look around and we actually find that we don't have people around us. That's why when I was speaking about prosperity in the beginning, I said relational prosperity, you understand, because that is an area we need to cultivate. Build meaningful relationships around you. And it doesn't have to be a lot of relationships. You can have two people, but with those two people, you know that, you know what, I can just go and be myself in that kind of environment. Making sense. Mm. It can be, you know, we, we grew up in, in communities where uh, an aunt doesn't necessarily have to be a relative. There are certain things that you know you're not comfortable talking to your mom about. But there's this aunt, you know, when you're going home, bag of oranges, you know, you sit with them and you talk sweet nothings the whole day in the village. But actually, you, you can get so much wisdom. And that person, when you have a problem, you're able to say, Ish and Mang Mang, this is what I have been going through. Making sense. And then coming to, to your question. <clears throat> That is a process, right? And that process of connecting with yourself, that is where you need coaching. Because when you sit down with a coach, like I'm saying, it's a process, the coach will be able to make an assessment and be able to say, this is what I'm picking up at the moment, and these are the stumbling blocks to where I think you should be. So it goes back to proactively finding somebody that can work with you in unpacking the baggage. Because you need somebody that is going to say, not to the left, just to, you know, a little bit the side. Okay. Which is, again, talking to having mentors as well. It's, it's more or less the same with that, because this would be in a social context where you have people that are around you. And this can be in a workspace context where there's people that you look up to that would be able to, to guide you. So you can see, again, it talks to relationships. And it also talks to trusting God again, because when you trust God, that is when you are able to say, God, guide me. I need people around me, but guide me to know if the people that I'm meeting are the people that can walk the walk with me. And that is where, you know, when I was talking about taste uh, life principle, when it gets to that end, there's this person that you look up to. And 
you then forge a relationship with that person because you feel that is the person that can guide you. But as you get close to that person, you get to understand that your values are not the same. The person might have achieved what you would like to achieve. But if your values are not the same, it's not going to work. Okay. Hi, my name is Pumzile. I just want to go back. I like uh, the, the way you answered the question just now. And I'm just wondering if uh, the question I wanted to, un uh, to ask you, if it's not covered. But nevertheless, I still want to go back. Um, one of the ladies spoke about introspection and especially self-criticism. And um, the answer was, um, if you make a mistake and then you do it again, and then you have to ask yourself, you know, what is happening? And why I'm saying, you know, you kind of touch on it now. I still want to go back to that question and I want the same process that you just underlined now, you know, to go back to that question. Because we tend to look at certain people and then we say, you've been doing the same thing 10 times or 100 times and it seems like you're not moving on that. And then, you know, we label people or we even put that whole thing as a, as a block in people's life. And even, you know, make that person as if, you know, you can't. But I want you to go back to that question because I'm, I'm thinking, I, I, I don't think that it was clarified properly. That is why I just want to go back to it because you spoke about psychology being in line also with God's principles, which is what I like as well. Sometimes you work that journey and you and God are sorted. And no matter how many times that mistake you do, sometimes it's a process. God can even take you through the process and say, look at this man of God. You look at him. They have done this. This is where they are. Guess what? They had an issue that they had to deal with it for 10 years. And it came out out of 10 years. So I... My point is, I didn't like just to say, if you do a mistake two times, then there's something wrong. I think I need you to just unpack that question back again. Okay, thank you. Can you take another question, Doc? Yep. Um, hi. Hi, all. My name is Nomsa. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you spoke about grief and loss. I just want to know how does one get over grief um, in terms of the loss of a loved one? Besides praying, you know, even if, you know, prayer does help, but how can one move on? Okay, thank you. I, I will start with uh, your question. Psychologically, we talk about the power of the universe. But spiritually, we talk about the power of God. 
now, if I talk about, so I will use it interchangeably. When I talk about the power of the universe, I am actually talking about God. Now, when Tembi is born, Tembi is born, Tembi's life path, psychologically, is mapped out when Tembi was conceived. There is some modifications that can be done in Tembi's life path until, you know, Tembi's last day. Now, on this path, two things are going to happen to Tembi. There's people that are going to cross Tembi's path. There's experiences that Tembi is going to go through. Both these things are there to facilitate Tembi being the best of herself. We're still together. Now, person number one comes with lesson number 22. Tembi is not getting it. Right? The universe, God, brings in another person. The lesson is still the same. Because for Tembi to move into the next level, Tembi must pass lesson number 22. Are we still together? So that can happen a number of times until Tembi is here, right? Because Tembi needs to move to level number two. But from here to here, the only lesson that Tembi has been going through is lesson number 22, right? There's a saying that goes like, when a student has not learned, the teacher keeps reappearing. So there are certain lessons that we need to go through until we get them. So that we can be able to interact with the next level of our lives. You understand? So you can look at it from that angle. Now, if you combine it with a statement of, you're allowed to make mistakes, but it can't be the same mistakes. What does it mean? It means that Tembi, if Tembi, just maybe, when the lesson was happening for the first time, Tembi embraced the lesson. Tembi would have moved to level two from there and not really walk all this road. Are, are you with me? Which is what is going to cause resentment for Tembi. Right? 
But having said that, we all have different journeys. You understand? And that's why I always say to people, for, for Tembi, it's okay for her to have moved, you understand, because maybe that this lesson that she had to work, to work through was so ingrained. It had to be removed from the roots, which is why it had to be repeated. Whereas for another person, you understand, they would get it the first time around, which is why it's important for you as a person when you go through, that's a favor you can do to yourself. Part of the introspection. To say, I don't want to be going through the same mistake over and over. There's definitely something that I'm not doing right. So let me look around me. Let me find people that can tell me the truth. Because I can see the next level. Because the frustration comes from seeing the first level, but not being able to, to touch it. You know, that is part of, uh, you know, th that, that coaching, because you can almost see, I want to go into self-employment. But, oh my goodness, oh, what is going to happen to month end? What is going to, and all those issues are real. But at the soul level, it's what? It's fear. It's not trusting in your abilities. It's making sense. Okay. Uh, grief. What I usually say, that's why I said, uh, I thank God that I'm, I'm a psychologist, but um, I'm a Christian. And, and grief is one of those things that you can only understand when you've gone through it. Because it, it touches the core of who you are. It, it, it paralyzes you emotionally. It's that time that you need to remind yourself that all of us sitting here, we don't own anybody. It sounds harsh. You know, as a, as a parent, when I'm going through something with my kids, that's the time that I sometimes, you know, remind myself that these are God's kids. I'm the vessel. And I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling because I, I've got this ownership. It's my children. And that is where the pain, you know, is. Because we, we, we and, and that is where the flesh part of who we are, because my, you know, it has to do with the memories. You know, the attachment and struggling then to see your life beyond the attachment that you have with this person. And back to the quote, 
um, of um, not looking at the past, not worrying about the future, because that is what we do most of the time, right? Be in the present, which is in the present moment, I don't have my loved one. But thank God, I still have so much to be grateful for, one. But then two, and most importantly, oh my goodness, how lucky can one person be for having been chosen to have the time that I had with my loved one. And then that is when, in looking at the past, look for the memories. Because it would mean whatever uh, that person needed to impart in your life, they would have imparted at that moment. Is it going to be less painful when they leave your life abruptly? Of course not. But when, again, you're connecting with the soul, you're trusting that in moving forward, whatever lessons you, you took from your time with your loved one, they are going to help you in facing the future. I'm just thinking of um, my mother as I'm talking to you now. Uh, I lost my mother uh, 2001. May her soul rest in peace. Uh, my mom was a, a very strong personality. Very warm though. But growing up, I used to feel that I've got the harshest mother any person can have. Only when, you know, I was growing up and the lessons that my mom imparted in me. And remember, when we're growing up, these lessons are not imparted formally. There's no sit down. <laughs> you know, these days, you sit down, there's a conversation. It's like, you know, I started making sense of some of you know, those lessons. So whenever I'm going through a difficulty, the praying and you know, all of that, but I always go back to the lessons that my mother left me with, informally. You know, if there's something that has happened, it doesn't matter what it is. We come from a, a clan, uh, people from the Eastern Cape would know, we, a clan, we call it Ojola. It's our clan name, Dingujola. So when you are at home, everybody's like, oh, hello, Jola, Jola. Then we think, what is this Jola? It's like a clan name, all right? Um, so something would have happened, and you are crying, you are hurting. I will say this in Kosa, and then translate it. My mom would say, li lage jola And then she will say, Mdanam What does it mean? Cry, 
you know, it's, it's almost an acknowledgement that you, you, you're hurting. It's okay, cry. But remember, the tears are not going to get you out of the trouble you got yourself into. And my mom, you know, she had the hand. She would say, think. So it doesn't matter what I go through. Through my tears, I know that even now, however my, my mother would have been, that is what she would say to me. So in the midst of my tears, I would cry and cry and say, how am I going to get myself out of this? Tackle the problem. Are we together? Afternoon, everyone. My name is Mapula. Um, I have a question on limit setting and boundary setting. I liked what you said about um, it's good to help others, but not at the expense of self. So my question is, in a case where you've made a decision, you've assessed the situation, and you very, you now know this is my decision, but the external factors that are strong and intelligent enough to convince you otherwise, how do you still remain rooted to your decision and block out that external noise? Good afternoon, my name is Tipe. Um, I wanted to find out, um, you spoke about joy and the hole, and how do you balance not creating a hole and staying, um, staying with the discomfort? So you have a situation where you, you want details, you want to find out and solve it out, unpack it, and there's nothing going on and you keep quiet, okay? You stay with the discomfort, and then you create room to say, okay, fine, I'll give you time, and then prepare room for, for coming out with it, and it doesn't happen, and you let it go, and then it happens again. And then how long do you stay with the discomfort? How do you deal with that? And without creating a hole where you end up having, you know, addictions and all of that, When we set a boundary, I set the boundary. Um, Pastor Uba, I don't like it when you shout at me when you're talking. That's a boundary. Are you with me? Because I'm expressing my need. And then it's saying... I'm opening room for a conversation between the two of us. The next level of the boundary would be, you know what? When you shout at me the next time, I'm going to leave the conversation. It's the second level of the boundary. It's a promise that I've made not to Pastor Uba, I've made it to myself. But I'm being fair to her by setting that boundary to say, when you shout at me, the next time I'm going to leave the conversation. Right? 
Now, that's the first part. The relationship between me and Pasteuba is that she's used to interacting with me in a shouting manner. Even though I've laid the boundary, that behavior, she's used to it because, you know, I allowed it. What is likely to happen is that even though I have set the boundary, me, she is still going to do the best she knows how, which is what? Shouting at me. Now the challenge is going to be, am I going to act on the promise I had made to myself, which is living when she shouts at me. So that is where the problem is. So we set a boundary, right? And then we don't honor the boundary. Making sense? So example would be in abusive relationships. If you do this or don't do that, I'm leaving this marriage. That is we as women. And at that moment, honestly, truly, you mean it because at this moment, you can't take it anymore. Can you see the languaging? You're setting a boundary. You've said, if you do this, that, 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 you're telling the other person what you are going to do, not what they are. You are making a commitment to yourself. And guess what? They are still going to do one, two, and three. And what do you do? You stay. So you've not honored your boundary. So that is what we do, which is why it's extremely important that when you set a boundary, you must mean it. And as you set that boundary and you don't honor it, the precedence again is, ah, we know this person would, or when she's angry, she says whatever, but she's not going to do it. So that person then, moving forward, is not going to take you seriously. But it's not about uh, that person. It's about you not honoring your own boundary. You, you're setting the boundary, but you're not honoring it. Making sense? There was another question. I've forgotten it. I, I like the contradiction in the statement. You have made the decision. External factors are convincing you otherwise. Whose life is it anyway? Right? <clears throat> because the external factors are going to convince you otherwise anyway. Because they would have been benefiting from how things were before. So when you make a decision, you know, that doesn't serve them, they're not going to be happy. And 
your decision making then goes to being clear about who you are. Meaning, when I make this decision, even when the people that are around me are not happy about it, I'm now honoring myself. Because this is what I want for myself. And it, it, it shouldn't be in an arrogant manner. You understand? But when you make that decision, there has to be, it has to be an informed decision as well, whereby you know what are the likely pushbacks that you are going to get from the people that are around you. Because when you make a decision, you are introducing new behavior, right? That was not there before. Of course, there is going to be a pushback because the people around you are not used to the new behavior. So it's your responsibility, again, to teach them. You understand? To align with the new behavior. How we, how we describe uh, or define behavior uh, psychologically, we always say behavior is learned action over time. Learned action over time, meaning you can unlearn the action, but it will happen over time. So when we introduce, you know, new behavior, we want the people to just fall with it immediately. You understand? So when you get a pushback, it is an indication that you're on the right track. You have to keep going until the person then learns the new behavior. <laughs> Amen. Okay, so I know you have more questions, but... <laughs> We, we have to stop here. You can, if you want to make contact with the doctor, you can just send an email to the office patients and uh, she'll give you her contact details, okay? All right, but uh, because I'm the one standing here, one more question. <laughs> and, and, and that's in terms of boundary. Well, I'm sorry, we can't take any more for now, all right? But you can get in touch, okay? But I'm not, it's not a new question, it's just in terms of boundaries. Is it possible that sometimes you set boundaries hastily? Maybe as a result of anger? Um, and then after you've set the boundary or you've said what you've said, never will this happen again. And then you realize that, okay, you were too harsh. What then happens? Do you say, because I set this boundary? Meanwhile, you know you were a little hasty and you were a little harsh. So what do you do in that case? Because, I mean, as a parent, for instance, you might say, okay, I've set a boundary, so I have to. But you know that you said it because you were angry. So how do you balance this boundary thing out? So, and then we'll end here. It's a, it's, a, it's a very tricky one because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a parent, you know, and uh, it's very easy to get into those um, hasty 
decisions. The bottom line, don't contradict yourself. So even if and when the boundary is a bit harsh, whoever you're setting the boundary with, will you, you, you would know in your heart of hearts that you would be a little bit lenient, but rather have a higher standard, right? Because remember, in the process of them learning this new behavior, they are less likely to master it. But if then the boundary was like, here, so you're likely to get this much, which will still be more than good enough. So that is where the staying with your discomfort comes in as well. Because you're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm not supposed to. Uh, I'm just thinking of a situation where, <coughs> you know, blazers, uh, parents, blazers are very expensive. My son, I can't remember what grade he was in. And were from buying the blazer. I don't know, it was 700 and something. So I said to, to him, Kay, you see how much the blazer is? Yes, mommy. If the blazer gets lost, all your pocket money, you are not going to get it every week until we pay for the blazer. I mean, she, he, he was getting 20 rand a week. Now, <laughs> are you with me? But at that moment, I'm like, yo, 700 rands. I don't see myself, I, you know? And I've set a boundary. Guess what? The, the blazer got lost. Right? Then I had to go back to <coughs> the boundary. But my heart is so sore. My heart was just too sore because now this 20 rand, you know, I can't give it to him. Right? But of course, in a, a week or so, the blazer was back. Right? But during that time, it, it, it was so for me because now I'm thinking. This ministry shame. has come to you live you know, from Every Nation Midrand. For other life changing messages and more information, log on to www.everynationmidrand.com. Thank you very much.